Well, today we're studying the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in this book, a letter that Paul wrote, the first of what is called the prison epistles, which basically means Paul wrote them in prison. It's a fancy name, a fancy way of saying that he was locked up and he wrote some letters, he wrote some books under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the first one that he wrote. He was in prison in Rome in house arrest, and he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a church that meant a lot to him. It was a very important church in his life because it was not only a place that he had visited, he'd been there on a second missionary journey, but it's also a place where he planted that church. He planted the church, but not just planted it and then took off and left others in charge. He actually invested three years of his life in that church. He planted it. He stayed there, he nurtured it, he helped grow it, he helped go knocking on doors in that community in the city of Ephesus, which by the way at that time was about 350,000 people. It was an important city, it was a powerful city, but it was also a city that was full of of, of pagan rituals, it was full of, of just sin at every turn. And so Paul knew the importance of the gospel in that place. And so like Corinth, Ephesus was the same kind of place, and he wanted to make sure that that people heard truth. And so he planted the church. He stayed there for three years. Now he's in Rome. Now he's in house arrest. And so he writes this letter. And this letter that he wrote, the book of Ephesians that we have in our Bibles, is a book that probably more than most of all the other books in the New Testament, it's kind of like a complete picture of what it means to follow Christ. In fact, You could take out the book of Ephesians and take it out of our Bible and kind of put a new packaging on it, a new cover on it, and like sell it in the, you know, the airport uh, terminals there and basically say like the Christian life for dummies. Because in it you find like everything that we need to know. He covers all of the things that we need to know in our faith. In fact, it's such a a book that has totality uh, in in its mission and its vision that the word all was actually used 30 different times in this book to talk about all the things that we need to know, everything that we need to know. And so he writes this book. He sends this letter on to Ephesus. He sends it by Tychicus, who brings it, delivers it to them. He's not sure if he'll ever be able to visit this place again. So he wanted to make sure, okay, church, church that I've given my life for, that I've spent so much time in, here's what you need to know. Now, obviously, what they needed to know is what we need to know. Like what they needed to understand, same kind of things that we need to understand. And so this book is a book that Paul writes, and and he kind of splits it up into two sections. The first three chapters kind of talk about the importance of Christian beliefs, of doctrine, of what we need to know to believe, of what we need to kind of hang our faith on, like like what we kind of lean on and trust in and walk in. That's the, the first three chapters talking about the Christian beliefs, and the next three chapters, four through six, are really kind of about Christian behavior. So it's like the first part, here's what you need to believe, and here's the second part, and here's what you need to do with it. And so today we're going to be in the first part, and then we're also going to be in the last chapter, in chapter 6, as we kind of walk through and talk through what, what God intended Paul to share with the church at Ephesus, and that says, it's God's great plan for you and me. And by the way, in case you're not paying attention, God has a great plan for you. And I don't mean like paying attention like this morning, I mean like paying attention like ever, like in your entire life, God has a plan for you. And so this book, the book of Ephesians, is a book that kind of lays that out for us and helps us to kind of see what it is that we need to know, to lean on, to believe in. You find in chapter 1, this parts that we're going to talk about today, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to find like where we're told that we're saved by faith and that we're God's masterpiece. In Ephesians chapter 3, that we're, we're told that, that we have 
this great ability to know that God's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. In Ephesians chapter 4, you get the picture of how God has equipped us, all of us, with gifts to do something for Him. In chapter 5, it talks about how that we respond to in unity with our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and those that we work with and those that we live with, our own families. And then in chapter 6, we talk about like how we can stand up against the enemy who's coming after us. And so that's kind of a, a, an overarching picture of what the book is about. And so today what I want to do is start in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to end in Ephesians chapter 6 to talk about great, God's great plan for each and every one of us. And the one thing that Paul makes clear right up front, right up front is this, is that we are all immeasurably blessed. As followers of Christ, we have been given this amazing gift because of the power of God. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. He says these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. So let's go back. We talked about this statement. We're immeasurably blessed. In verse 3, after he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he then says, who gives us every spiritual blessing. Now let me ask you a question. How many spiritual blessings did he give us? Every one of them, all of them. So what's the most important word in that verse? It's the word every. And what that means is, is there's nothing that you will ever face that God is not going to give you what you need to make it through. My dad used to say this way, God will never put more on you than he puts in you to bear it up. God blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He does not hold anything back. And aren't you grateful that that's true? Because you know the way that I live? Because number one, newsflash, I'm human, and number two, I blow it often. And my guess is if I went around the room and interviewed each and every one of you, here's what I would hear from you, is number one, you're human, and number two, you blow it often also, right? Anybody in here not human and not blow it often, just raise your hand wherever you are in the room. No hands are going up. We're all in the same boat. And knowing that that's true, here's what God has the right to do. In fact, it would make sense that He would do this. That he would look at us in our life and our journey and our mistakes and our problems and, our, and all the issues and all the challenges that we face. It, it makes sense that what would happen is this, is that God would see us mess up, he would see us blow it, he would see us do something wrong, and then when we called on God and we cried out to God, God, I need your help, here's what he would say, hey, I've got every spiritual blessing right here, but you know what, you blew it, I'm not going to give them to you. You see, that's what God should say to us, right? That is what we deserve. But what this passage tells us is, no, that's not the way God works. The way God works is this, is He gives us every spiritual blessing, and He holds nothing back. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter how you act, no matter how many times you've blown it, we've all blown it a thousand times times seven, and we're going to keep on blowing it until the day that we die. And God says this, I give you every spiritual blessing. Are you grateful for that? Are you grateful for that? You better be grateful for it. Because you're human and you blow it a lot. And that's what all of us do. And so when you get that picture, like we are immeasurably blessed. Like you cannot put a number on it. You can't put a level of understanding on it. You can't explain it. You can't figure it out. And yet that's what God does for us. But He doesn't even stop there. So we're immeasurably blessed because God has given us every spiritual blessing. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, oh, and by the way, he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. Think about that. 
Before you were born, God had a plan for your life. Before you took your first breath, God had a plan for your life. Before he spoke the world into existence, God had a plan for your life. God chose you. Now listen, what an amazing picture that is, is that before the world began, before Adam and Eve walked in the garden, before that serpent came up and and tempted them at the tree, and before they chose to sin in that garden, and then because of they sinned, that that then sin entered into the world, and then death entered into the world, and then all of this issue of our, our ability to choose to do right or to choose to do wrong, before any of that happened, God chose us, and He has a plan for you. And what's that plan? Well, He goes on to say it, that God chose us before the foundation of the world to live holy and blameless lives. Now, that's a, a twofold approach there. A lot of times we'll kind of you know, smoosh them together and kind of push them together like it's the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. So, like, number one is on us, okay? The first one is on us that we've got to live holy lives. In other words, we have to pursue holiness. What God expects us to do, what God wants us to do, what He chose us to do is to live our lives in accordance with the Word of God, to live the way that God wants us to live. So, that's on us, to be holy because He is holy. The second part of that is to live blameless. That's what's on Him. Because you cannot live blameless without the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without the empty tomb, you can't live blameless. We can pursue holiness without that, but we sure can't be blameless without that. Christ had to die, He was buried, and He rose again. And so God said that He has chosen us to be holy, to live a certain way, so that because of Christ that we can be blameless before Him. Man, what an amazing story. We are immeasurably blessed. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But yet God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What an amazing gift. What an amazing story. But it doesn't stop there. And so that's what Paul starts with in verses 3 and 4. Like, you are immeasurably blessed. We have that great gift. But we also recognize that with God's great plan for our lives, we are part of His plans. Which again doesn't make sense. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul even touched on that, like, like I'm the worst of the worst. He says, I don't deserve to be here, but, but we're part of that plan. Look what it says in this passage, beginning with verse 9. In verse 9, it says this, that He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the One who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. In Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Now, lots of words. Let me basically break that down for you, what it really tells us. Is that God revealed a mystery to us that should not have been revealed to us? That God, because of our faith in Christ, has revealed to us something that again doesn't make sense, that again is hidden from the world. The Bible tells us that what is foolishness to the world, to us, like we understand, this is the picture of the salvation that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has been revealed to us. And not only revealed to us so that at the right time, God can fulfill His great plan through you and me. 
that we can be a part of that journey, that we can be a part of that. That's why it's so important for us to be involved and to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Last night, we had our beast feast here. And I was over here at the Beast Feast, and as I drove in and I parked out behind the, the gyms over there, we were having the Beast Feast, I was walking in, and out behind the gym, they had like, man, 15 or 20 of these massive, huge, like on trailers because they were so big, these big grills. And they're cooking all this meat out there. You were out there cooking. All that stuff that was out there. And I was walking by, and I was thinking, man, how awesome is it that these guys are out there, and they've been out there since Wednesday cooking so that we could prepare and have that meal last night with a lot of people for the Beast Feast. Now, here's what also went off in my mind. If it was up to me, if it was my responsibility to cook all that stuff since Wednesday all the way up through last night, today this church would be empty because we would have a lot of food poisoning cases over in the hospital because I don't know how to cook. I think all food comes through a drive through window. I don't know how to cook. I don't know what to do with it. I have a microwave at home, and on the bottom left of that microwave is a button that says 30 seconds. That's all that I need to know. I push it once. If I need it again, I push it again. That's all that, I, that, that is how I cook. And you cannot put an entire alligator in a microwave. It does not work. And yet, these guys were out there using their gifts, their abilities, their talents to cook all week long so that last night we could have an event that brings praise and glory to God. Over in the, this morning, I was walking from my office over to this church, to the sanctuary. I was here very early, and as I was walking by, all the lights were on in the nursery. My office is on the other side of the nursery. I'm walking, which is not a great plan, walk by the nursery. And as I'm walking by the window, all the lights are on. And you know what's in there? A lot of people are in there. They're getting ready. They're getting set up. They're cleaning. They're doing all the things that they need to do to bring in your children to care for them and to take care of them. Listen, if that was up to me, we'd be in a lot of trouble. I have a granddaughter. I love her to death. She is awesome. She's one year old. Man, I love to play with her. I love to hold her. I love to, you know, to tickle her. I love to, you know, chase her around. She's walking now, which is awesome. I love doing all. I want to be with her all the time, except for when I pick her up and she smells. And at that moment, it's like, hey, mom, she's yours, baby. And I hand her off. Why? Because I'm not gifted in that way. I'm not talented in that way. Some people are, and they're willing to use those gifts and those talents to bless. You see, what God gives to us is the great opportunity of understanding that there's something beyond the here and now. That we need to use what God has gifted to us today so that we can prepare what God has for our future. We understand. And Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, we are able to share in the secret that God will one day unite everything in Christ. Ever since sin came into the world, things have been falling apart. Does that sound true to you and me? Seriously, think about it. Ever since sin entered into the world, things have been falling apart. Sin is tearing everything down, but in Christ, God will gather everything together in the culmination of the ages. We are part of this grand eternal program. God has a plan, and God wants to use us. And the passage that we just read in verses 9 through 14 is that that promise has been sealed through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the moment that we accept. Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to believe that He died, was buried, and rose again. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. He is part of our journey. He is part of our picture. And that is, as this passage says, the down payment for what God has prepared in eternity. The Holy Spirit is the gift. He is the payment. 
so that we would know every single day of our lives, because the Holy Spirit is with us and never walks away from us, never leaves us, and never forsakes us, forsake us, that you will never lose sight of the fact that no matter what you do and no matter where you go and no matter how bad things might get, God is by your side. Encouraging? Encouraging? Absolutely. And so, yes, we are part of God's plan. And what also Paul wants to point out in this passage is that we have an eternal hope. Look what it says beginning in verse 18. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. Listen to these words. He exercises power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, and He subjected everything under His feet and appointed Him as head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. That statement, He subjected everything under His feet. Here's what you need to know. We have an eternal hope because there is nothing that will ever happen in this world on which God is still not in control. Have you ever felt out of control in your life? Just raise your hand if you've ever felt out of control in your life. I was driving in this morning at 5.15. I was tired. I didn't want to be driving. When it was dark, I felt out of control driving in this morning. The people driving behind me felt that I was out of control this morning. I'm glad there wasn't a police officer behind me because probably I would have been out there like touching my nose and walking a white line because I did not want to be up and driving in that early in the morning. I was, by the way, I was not drinking, just so you know. It's just that he would have thought that I was out of control. You got that, right? Everybody understand that? All right, just want to make sure. I can just see the social media post. Jonathan admitted this morning he was drunk coming to church. No, I did not. That did not happen. But everything that happens to us both good and bad, God has put under the authority of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that He today is sitting at the right hand of God, and He is making intercession for you and for me. You know what that tells us in kind of the common 21st century language? What it tells us is this, is that Jesus has your back. That whatever it is that you're going through, Jesus is there. And He has His eyes on you, and He has His arms around you, and He will not let you go. Everything is subjected under His feet. But it doesn't even stop there, because a few verses before that that we read just a moment ago, it also says, and that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that guarantees it. Now, I don't know about you, but has anybody in here ever seen someone raised from the dead? I hope no hands go up. Because none of us have. And in fact, if we were at a funeral and someone like got up out of the coffin, the room would empty. If I was ever preaching a funeral and the person that I was preaching the funeral for like set up in the coffin and started climbing out of the coffin, I promise you, I will be out of that room before anybody. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Going all the way back to, you know, the New Testament, the last time it happened was then, okay? So, so, but if that happened, like, it would freak you out, right? So that's a pretty important power, right? That's like a big deal. And here's what God's Word says. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that allows Jesus to be the one that is walking with you every step of the way, making intercession for you, that is sealed with the Holy Spirit of God in your life. That same power is the power that God uses to protect you. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. That's good news. And that's what God has in store. That's the eternal hope that each and every one of us have in our lives. That is what God has guaranteed, that eternal hope. And so the idea that we need to understand and believe and count on, to lean on, to be entrusted by, to be encouraged by is just simply this, like God's got it under control. Jesus has our back. Now, as a result of that, as we move over to Ephesians chapter 6, I encourage you to flip over in your Bibles a few chapters over to Ephesians chapter 6, because there, that's how where Paul writes again in the practical level, like, here's how you put this into practice. Here's how you live this thing out in a world that is out of control. So if God has us in control and everything is under His control, we live in a world that is out of control. And by the way, in case you have not been paying attention, the world is out of control. And I don't mean like a certain segments of society, I mean the entire society is out of control. And I know that's true because yesterday morning I went over to McDonald's and the door was locked. It's out of control, people. The world is out of control. And so we must know, how do we live in a world that is out of control? How do we live in a world that is broken? How do we live in a world where we know that Satan is out to steal and to kill and to destroy everything about you? And so that's where we come to the last part of this passage, the picture of, if you will, like God's plan. Ephesians chapter 6, it begins with verse 10. Paul writes, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And by the way, make sure you understand, Satan has a scheme and you are part of his scheme. You are not, um, you are not immune from the attacks of Satan. Do you understand that, right? Like Satan is out for you. He was out for Billy Graham, yes. He was out for like D.L. Moody, yes. Charles Spurgeon, yes. He was Martin Luther, yes. He was out for all of them. And he is out for you too, all of us. So it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil and spiritual forces in the heaven. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. Second time he says that. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand there, uh, stand therefore with truth. And here's what it is. I want to put this picture up and I'm going to walk through this just briefly here. And so, this is a picture of a Roman soldier. What the armor looks like. What they wore when they went to battle. The most formidable army at that time that took over the entire world at that time. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. So you look here and you see that belt, that belt of truth that's around this waist. Now listen, I'm wearing a belt. Many of you here in this room are wearing a belt. But our belts today are not doing anything like that belt does. Because that belt is a totally different picture. That belt is something that has far more importance and far more value. It's kind of like what you see in police officers that you run into today. They're wearing a belt. 
And when they wear that belt, on that belt, you will see that they have a gun, and they have a taser, and they have handcuffs, and they have extra bullets, and they have mace, and they have lots of radios and all kinds of stuff to make sure that they can accomplish what it is that they must face whenever they go out and they're serving the public, protecting and serving. They have that belt. The same is true of the armor that you see in front of you. Because that belt that he's wearing is not just a belt that is like, you know, just there to look for fashion. No, that belt is the, where he holds that sword. That's where the sword is there. The weapon is attached to that belt. It keeps it close in hand so he can get to it as soon as he needs it. But it even does more than that. That belt also holds that entire armor together. When they went out into battle, that armor was there to protect them. And if they took that belt off when they went into armor, guess what was going to happen? All of their clothes would fall off. The armor would fall to the ground. If you're going to battle and you're wearing armor and you walk onto that field and you take off your belt and all of your clothes fall off, it is not going to be a good day on the battlefield. And so that belt, that belt of truth, which is the Word of God Paul talks about here, is that's what we, this is what we need to face whatever might be out there today, that we stand with that belt of truth. But he goes on to say, so therefore, put the belt around your waist. And then he said, wear righteousness like armor on your chest. You see here the armor that, that this guy's wearing. It's kind of cool because back in those days, you could be completely overweight and out of shape, and you would have a four-pack, six-pack, eight-pack right there. I mean, you would look, I would love to have one of those today, wouldn't you? Like wear it like underneath your shirt, like everybody think, man, he's really worked out. He looked buff. No, that, that's what that's what he's wearing that, right? And he looks awesome there. But here's what that does. That's not just so that he looks tough on the battlefield. That's so that when the arrows come and the sword is swung and the, 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 the spears are thrown, that that will protect him and it will not get through and kill him. And so this passage says, we're righteousness like a shea, like a uh, breastplate of righteousness. Here's what's important to us. And Paul wants to get, like, here's how we do that. We protect ourselves with righteousness. We protect ourselves from the arrows and from the spears and from the swords of sin. Like you protect yourself against the sin that will destroy you from the inside out. And so you're wearing the belt, and then you're wearing the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness. Let's keep reading. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. You see the sandals that are there. And you say, well, like, why, why are sandals something that are protective? They're protective because in those days they would take their sandals, which is made out of leather, and they would take nails, and they would nail them through the top of the sandals. Now, they're smart. They didn't, like, put them, you know, with the nail the point up. They put the point down through the sandals so that when they were walking with those sandals onto the battlefield, they would be firmly planted where they are. You couldn't push them over. You couldn't knock them over in battle when they're fighting hand-to-hand combat. They would have a sure footing. And so what Paul is saying here is like that soldier did when he had those spikes that went into the ground. Hey, put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, like stand firm in your footing. Be protected so that nothing can knock you down. We keep reading what Paul says here. After those feet that are uh, sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. And then he says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith. You know what the shield does. That shield is something that, again, they can move around to protect from the attacks that are coming in. What they would do in that day, the armies would line up with those sandals with nails and, and spikes into the ground, and they would get their sure footing, and then they would take those shields and hold them in front of them, and they would build an impenetrable wall across. Why? Because that shield, nothing would get through that shield. 
And so he says, here's what we must do is we must take our shield of faith. In other words, recognizing that no matter what Satan throws at us, when we stand in the faith and the power and the presence of God in our lives, Satan doesn't have a prayer. So we hold that shield, that shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Obviously, you know what that helmet is there. That helmet of salvation is there to protect blows to the head. And what he's talking about here is not the picture of salvation like like accepting Christ. That's assumed in this moment. What Paul is saying, you put that helmet of salvation on knowing that you can face the problems of now because of the promise and the hope of the future of eternity in Christ. And then lastly, he says, and you take up that sword of the Spirit, that sword which is the Word of God, which is that weapon. In other words, when you go out against a world that is out to get you and to attack you, when you go out against Satan who is out to stop you and to kill and to steal and to destroy everything about you, when you stand on and stand in and hold up and proclaim the Word of God and live in the Word of God and run with the Word of God and walk in the Word of God and memorize the Word of God and take the Word of God to this world that desperately needs it, light in the midst of darkness, here's what it says, is that that sword of the Spirit is what will protect you from the one who's coming after you. You see, Paul wanted to make sure we understood, yes, we are part of God's plan, and yes, we are immeasurably blessed, and yes, we have an eternal hope, but man, we also have to recognize this, as we also must take up the fight, and we must stand firmly planted in the promise of God's Word, knowing that no matter what it is that you come up against, God has a plan, and God will use you to make a difference. I don't know about you. But when I read through these passages that we read through today, like I get inspired, like I get ready. It's kind of like that feeling like, you know, years ago when you watched Rocky for the first time. I wanted to go beat somebody up. I don't know about, I mean, you know, not a a good person, you know, like just a a dummy or something. You just want want to do something, right? I get that same way when I read this passage. Because here's what I know. Satan is out there to stop you. Jesus is out there to tell you that Satan doesn't have a prayer. Satan wants to destroy your future. And Jesus is out there saying, I've already guaranteed it. Satan is out there wanting to take you down. And Jesus is out there sitting at the right hand of God saying this, I've prepared all of this for you. We live in an out-of-control world. But in an out-of-control world, here's what you got to know. God is in control. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for the strength that you give to us in just simply spending time reading your word. God, I pray right now for every person in this room. There are a lot of people hurting. There are a lot of people that are going through difficult times. God, there are also people in this room that have never accepted you as Lord and Savior. People watching. Father, I pray right now in this moment, Lord, help them to recognize who you are and what you've done, that you love them with an everlasting love, that God, Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross and he rose again for their sins, and that all they must do is believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, and they will be saved. Father, I pray that today, Lord, that's what they would do. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to stand. 
We're going to sing together. Our team is gathering here at the front. And as they gather at the front, I want to encourage you. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything that I've talked about today, every promise that I've given, every hope that I've extended, know this, is without Christ, those things don't mean anything. With Christ, they mean everything. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you today. Come down and talk with our team and just say, hey, listen, tell me about Jesus. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and say, listen, I want to get back in the game, get back in the battle. I want to be strengthened. I want to, be, I want to stand strong in the Word of God. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're sitting back thinking like, I, I've not been living the way that I should live. Hey, good news for you. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't matter what you've done, God will forgive. Maybe you want to come and join our church, come for baptism, whatever God is speaking to you as we stand right now, and as Charles leads us in this song, I'm just asking you, like, like with that, that tenacity of Rocky Balboa, when God calls, respond. Let's stand and sing. Lord, I need you. Guys, when you leave here today, man, I want you this week to make a commitment. Like, read through the book of Ephesians. Remember what I said? It's like everything that you need to know. The Christian life for dummies. It's all right here. Spend some time reading it, because I promise you this. Today, you're going to face some difficult stuff. This week is not going to be a lot of fun. You're going to have challenge after challenge. I promise you. Take my word. Next Sunday, you're going to come back and say, you know what? You were right. It's going to be tough out there. But God has given us everything that we need to stand strong, to stand up, to be righteous, and to know that God will never leave our side. Walk out there and show the world what light in darkness looks like. The altar's open. We'd love to talk with you. Our group's members are around. They would love to talk to you about getting connected in a group. They're here. They're out on Main Street, out in the lobby. Let's connect today. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.